Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 13 and 26 through 31. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. So, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and individual members of it, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, next, miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. The word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I, I was uh, really blessed by Darian's uh, leading us through liturgy this morning. And um, I really hope that you caught some of the gems that he had laid out. And the biggest one, I think, is if you haven't taken down your Christmas lights by now, <laughs> it's the third Sunday after Epiphany. The light of the world has come. It's, it's time. <laughs> My name is Chris Song. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity. Uh, it's my privilege to uh, deliver the message to all of you this morning. Um, we're continuing our series on the body, and we're focusing on the church as the body of Christ. Um, as I was preparing this week, there was this image that kept coming to my mind, um, and it's this picture right here. It's this room. I took this picture. I took this on the first Sunday of April, 2020. Um, I was here in church by myself getting some equipment out of the closet. And I took this picture not knowing the next time we would be worshiping here in this room together. Um, we had just finished our first digital online service, what was to be one of many online services. And looking at this picture now and seeing this room, it's 
uh, it's sending me a lot of feelings. It's hitting different than it was in my preparation. <laughs> um, this is everything here that we can't do on, online. Seeing each other's faces, being able afterwards to give each other a hug, um, to take the Lord's Supper together. There are things that no matter what you cannot do except here uh, in this room. The funniest thing for me about online church is that no matter what, even though I didn't have to get ready, even though I didn't have to drive anywhere, I was always still like five minutes late to church. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how that worked. Um, our text this morning, um, it's a long passage, but we're really only going to focus on one verse. Um, so the next slide, please, Janet. Um, and we're going to do this verse for most of our time. And it says this, now you are the body of Christ, and individually you're members of it. Now, I've, we're going to do something this morning that I don't think I've ever done, which is focus on one verse and let the other parts of Scripture help us understand what's going on um, in this one verse. We, we don't do that here. We normally like to let the whole passage speak for itself, in its own voice, in its own logic and context. But I think there's an exception to be made today because this verse is actually a little hard to understand. And we have only one question to answer this morning, and it's why are we the body of Christ? What does that even mean to be the body of Christ? You see, there's other names that the Bible gives the church um, that we're totally comfortable with. At least we have categories to understand. The church of Christ, the bride of Christ, uh, co-heirs with Christ. We're like, sure, that makes sense. But his body, that's stranger. I don't know if we fully have categories to understand what's going on here. Now, sometimes when we use this imagery, we change it. We say that we are his hands and his feet. But that's not what the Bible calls us. The Bible actually never says that we as the church are his hands and feet. It says that we are his body. And other people will say, no, what this really means is a metaphor. We're like the body of Christ. And even in our chapter, the body is a metaphor. The eye is not the hand. The hand is not the foot. Many members of the body they serve the church as one. But in our verse, notice, it's not saying you are like the body of Christ or you are analogous to the body of Christ. Our passage this morning is saying something about our identity. You are the body of Christ. And it's important to understand what he means by that. This is one of three main identity statements that the Apostle Paul gives us in the letter of 1 Corinthians. And it's worth looking at each of them. Um, the next slide, please. So Paul gives us three main identity statements where throughout the letter he pauses and says, this is what you are as Christians. The first one is this. You are the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3. Three chapters later in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, it's our verse this morning, it says that you are the body of Christ. First of all, I love this because it's Trinitarian. The three statements are, happen to be Trinitarian. I don't think that's an accident. You're the temple of God, 
You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the body of Christ. But even more crucial, and you need all three to be able to be in relationship with him, to to be able to worship him. You need all three persons of the Trinity. That is the name of our church, after all. We, We should be talking about these things. But more crucially, these three statements are very closely related. And my point this morning is that these three statements are three ways of saying the same thing. Being the body of Christ has everything to do with being the temple of God, has everything to do with being the temple of the Holy Spirit. These three things are connected, and if you can understand that, you'll be able to catch where we're going this morning. So let's just take this step by step. I'll, I'll try and go as slowly as possible. The next slide, please. Our first heading this morning, if you're following along, is that the body of Christ is the true temple. The true temple is Christ himself bodily. You see, God's relationship with his people has always required a temple. Always. Even from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden is portrayed in Scripture as a temple. God is not like you and me. You know, for us to be in relationship, it's easy. There's no, I don't have a secretary, I don't have an entourage, we can just hang out. We can just call and text each other. It's not the same with God. God is holy and his presence requires a mediator, some form of temple mediation. The next slide. So we have this verse in Exodus 33 that explains exactly why we need a temple. The verse says, tell the Israelites that you are a stiff-necked people. If I went up with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. (laughs) Now, that sounds extreme. Until you think about it, we can't just go up to God in our sinfulness. We can't just be in his presence. God is not like you and me. We need some form of mediation. We need some form of protection from his presence. And in the past, that, that mediation has been the form of a sacred location, whether it's been in the altar at Bethel, whether it's been Mount Sinai where the God gave the Ten Commandments, whether it was Solomon's temple in Mount Zion, there were, there were these levels of protection and mediation so that God and his people would be in relationship with each other. Of course, at Christmas, the very first Christmas, everything changed. The next slide. Christmas wasn't that long ago. It feels like a very long time ago in my, in my mind now. But... When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation. The word was God and the word became flesh. And the word made his dwelling among us. This is a real revolution because what has happened now is that the temple has shifted. That mediating temple that used to be about a place has shifted from a place to a person. The temple is no longer a building, The temple is now located in the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling comes from the word skene, which is the Bible's word for tabernacle. God's tabernacle presence has been 
has appeared to us in person, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has become the temple. Next slide. So in John 2, Jesus says this even more clearly. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days uh, I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. There's that crucial word. The temple of God is now the body of Christ. The temple that used to be a person is now, the temple that used to be a building is now a person. The true temple is Jesus himself, the temple of his body. So that's our first heading, and it's important for us to, to understand that. The temple is now a person. The temple is Christ himself in the body. Our second heading is that we are in Christ. In Christ in quotes. There's, a, there's another slide after that which is prettier. <laughs> we use these two words, in Christ, a lot. It's used in the Bible a lot. It actually occurs more than 150 times in the New Testament. It is one of the Bible's most basic ways of explaining our relationship with God. We are in Christ. When we write each other as Christians, we use these two words often to close our emails or our letters. We're in Christ. But what does this actually mean? We're not in him physically, we know that, but so then metaphorically, what, what is the meaning of this? How does the metaphor actually work? And it's really important that we understand this this morning. The best way to understand the two words in Christ is to understand that this is the Bible's way of talking about the new temple. Being in Christ means that we are in the temple that is Christ. We are mediated by Christ's relationship. You see, we don't worship in Solomon's temple anymore. We don't take pilgrimages to Jerusalem as Christians. We don't face east when we pray. Is this east? East. We don't face east when we pray because the temple is no longer an access point for our relationship with God. We have something more immediate and more direct. But that does not mean that the Bible or that God has done away with the temple. The temple is still important. The, the temple still has a role. It's just now Jesus is the temple for us. Jesus himself enables our relationship with God to work. Jesus is the great high priest that mediates and intercedes before God for us. He is the sacrifice for our sins, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is the temple mediating for us. And the earliest Christians, they didn't see this coming. When Jesus comes on the scene, this was a shock to everyone that God would become a person, that God would take on flesh and take a body, and that this body would be the temple. This was, this was brand new information. This was shocking. This was something that Christians in this time didn't know how to describe. What language are we going to, to use to explain what's going on here. 
And the language that they settled on are these two words, in Christ. That's fine. This is good. No, no, no. That's good. <laughs> um, this is, and we don't need to take long here, but the, the earliest Christians, when they were thinking about how to describe this phenomena, they looked at the best place they knew where to look, the Old Testament. And they were most interested in, well, where are the places where God's glory comes up close to his people? How does the Bible describe God's presence with his people? And what language do they use? It says in, Ezekiel, I mean, in Exodus, when it first talks about the instructions for the sanctuary, it says, have them build a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Now, don't be scared of the Greek. It's two words, en who mean. We have Greek professors here in the room. If I put them on the spot, they would tell you that those two words are translated in you. I may dwell among them, among you, in you. When Ezekiel prophesies of the future restoration of the temple and the glory that will come with his people, the glory will dwell in you. So when Paul sees that Jesus is the new temple and that his spirit has come to dwell with his people and that his temple presence is up close to us, he knows exactly what language to use to describe this new reality. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and, the, and God's spirit dwells in humin, in you. This is temple language. And this is the language that helps us understand that we are in the temple. We are in Christ. It's, it's, it's so crucial to understand the import of being in Christ. Being in him is the only reason Christianity makes sense to me. Have you guys ever wondered why God loves you? Why is God so willing to forgive your sin as often as you commit it? Why God is so willing to accept you every time we come to him in confession? Is it because you are so good and loving and amazing inside? <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. Um, it's not. The only reason is because we are in Christ. Is anyone feeling down this morning about the state of their, of the state of their sin? Is anyone feeling like I've, I, I just keep doing the same stuff over and again and God must be tired of it? Is anyone feeling like they're just on this treadmill of not being able to shake bad habits and so they're just feeling defeated before God? If that's you this morning, can I tell you that it's so much worse than you think? <laughs> We're being easy on ourselves. Remember that without a temple, if we were in God's presence, we would be destroyed. That's just how this dynamic works. That's how bad we are, and that's how holy he is. But if we are in Christ, we have a relationship that brings us close. In Christ, we are completely forgiven of our sins. 
Jesus pays the price for our sin. He dies on the cross so that we would be fully forgiven. He gives to us his righteousness so that we can stand before God faultless and blameless. He gives to us the spirit of adoption so that we would be beloved sons and daughters of God. He gives to us the spirit of power so that we could actually live lives that are worthy of his name. From beginning to end, Jesus does it all. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This is why we sing, Trinity. This is why we do everything that we do to the glory of his name, because he has done it all for us. And we are in him. That's the basis of our relationship. We have been blessed way more than we deserve, and it's because Jesus has done it all for us. I will live for him. Along with all of us who are in this room that have been gripped by grace, we will live for him and we will have the confidence of being his beloved children only because we're in him. We're in the protection of his mediation. We are in Christ. So let's put this all together. We are the body of Christ. The next slide, thanks. And we have to just, just think about it very logically. I'm a, I, I'm, I am a betting per- I was about to say I'm not a betting person. I am a betting person. I bet $5 to friends all the time. <laughs> if I were a betting person, and I am, I would have bet that the earliest Christians had a lot of trouble with this language. If there was any other way to describe the church without using the words the body of Christ, I think they would have used it. But they used this language because there was no other way to describe this reality. Why are we the body of Christ? Because Jesus himself is the temple. Not a building, not, not, a, not a mountain. Jesus himself in the body is the temple. And if we're to be in a relationship with him, we have to be found in him. We have to be accepted in the temple. And if we are in the temple, what else can we be called if not the body of Christ? What do we do with this? How do we make this applicable? How do we make this practical for us? Um, And so let's, let's close with some very, very practical applications. And the first one is this. It's just simply to understand what communion is when we take it together. Communion is nothing less than a joining of the body of Christ through the Spirit. We commune with the body and we affirm in that space, in that meal, that we are the body of Christ. I really wish we had a communion table here. It would make the point a lot more uh, cleaner. Um, Let's go to the next slide. Um, And uh, it comes to us in 1 Corinthians 10. And it says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? That word participation, you know this word in Greek, it's koinonia. It's the word that we use for fellowship. Is not the cup that we drink, is it not a koinonia, a fellowship, a participation in the blood of Christ? 
is not the bread that we break, is it not a koinonia, a fellowship, a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This is sacramental language that tells us that we are most the body of Christ when we are at the Lord's table. And we affirm together that we are joined to him. And through the Spirit, we physically and actually receive God's grace. Not because the table is magic, but because Jesus is real. And because his presence is with us. And through this gift, we are joined to the Lord and we affirm that we are the temple of God, the body of Christ. And that is who we are. We are most ourselves at this table. For in the meal, that's where we are reminded of who we really are, the body of Christ. Now, that's very sacred stuff. Um, it's honestly an embarrassing honor that we would be identified with something so holy as the temple of God, so holy as, as the body of Christ himself. You are the body of Christ. You. Me. Like, I'm so unworthy of that. I'm gross. Like, I, I eat my kids' half-eaten tacos over the sink, like, really fast. Like, that's not body of Christ type stuff. <laughs> and yet, God bestows on us such an embarrassingly high honor. Now, this sounds very serious. If you know me well, you know that I don't like to be that serious. Um, let's be clear. Individually, you are not the body of Christ. You are not the temple of God individually. And you don't want to be. <laughs> that's, like, we've got to live our lives, and that's not, that's not how you want to go about thinking about yourself. When you guys go home, if you're like me, I'm going to go home and get into sweatpants and eat something very unhealthy, and watch the Chiefs-Bills playoff game. And be perfectly fine with it. Go Chiefs. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Bears fan, but, you know, I'm also Team Taylor, so that's... Um, let, but let, let's be clear. We are, we are only the body of Christ together. Only the body of Christ together. We're the, only the temple of God in our gathering. And that's, that's, it's important to understand that. But second of all, and this is also extremely important to understand, that the temple in Jesus is different. Jesus changes how his people worship him. This is not the Exodus 33, I will destroy you type of presence. Because in Jesus... The temple is now a family. If you're writing notes, um, you can write this down because it's, it's important. And it's this. Because Jesus is now the temple, the temple is also a family. Because Jesus is now the temple, the temple is also a family. The sacred temple with all of its ritual, all of its, uh, all of its holiness, is also a loving home where people are brought in close. There's a lot of places in scripture that can illustrate this. 
Um, let's look at one, one particular one. It comes to us in 2 Corinthians. It says this, I, I, it says this, excuse me, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. There's almost no connection between being God's holy temple and being God's family. But in Jesus, these two realities are brought directly together. The temple is also a family. Being the temple of the living God has everything to do with being a son and daughter to the Father. Now, I thought a lot about how to illustrate this because it's kind of a, a difficult thing. We don't see a lot of examples in everyday life that draw this out. But I, was, I, I have two, two images, and here's the first one that I think kind of draws this out. It's a little small, sorry. That's uh, President John F. Kennedy, and uh, he's surrounded by presumably his cabinet, important people running the business of the country. And here's the point. This is the Oval Office. You and I can't just walk into that room. Like, I can't go into that huddle right now and say, what are, what are we talking about, guys? <laughs> Get me up to speed. Well, you can't do that. There's maximum security, and in that space, in the White House, in the Oval Office, underneath the Resolute Desk, is JFK Jr. playing trucks. You see that? I love that. I think that is a picture of us in the presence of God. The Holy Temple is also a family. This, this sacred space that we are in right now, we get to still be his temple in sweatpants, in jeans, in just, in, in something that's familiar and intimate and close because the temple is also a family in Jesus. There's one more image that I have. This is, uh, this is Mulan. <laughs> Mulan's my favorite Disney protagonist, by the way. I could speak for another 10 minutes about this, but I won't. Um, and so here she is with the sword of Shan Yu saving China and giving the emperor a hug. Now, you have to understand that in that time, in that culture, the emperor was venerated. You couldn't just so much as raise your eyes and look at the emperor. And here's Mulan giving him a hug, a big hug. And everybody's asking, can she do that? <laughs> and we can do that. If you guys can understand this, that God is most holy, angels surround him, and the Lord of the universe is also the Father who loves you, then you can understand a little bit of what it means to live in both of these realities. The temple is also a family, and we've been brought close. I hope that you see, I hope that some of the scandal of this comes out, because this is supposed to be a little scandalous, a little outrageous. And if it's not, I'm not doing this right. I'm not presenting the gospel correctly. How can we possibly be 
the temple of God? How can we possibly be associated with the body of Christ? Us. Some of this won't possibly make sense if we know who we are and we know who he is. But that's part of the wonder of God's grace that he could bring us up close. That's the wonder of what Jesus does in bringing his family together. If we want a practical application for this, it's simply don't stop gathering on Sunday mornings. On your own, you're just you. But together, we are the body of Christ. On your own, your faith, as important as your individual faith is, you are still simply an individual, but together we are the temple of the living God. This is where we are reminded of who we really are in him. This is where we can affirm that we are joined and united to the Lord. And so let this be the centering place of your identity. Let the Sunday that you receive grace from, let that be the, pl- the point from which you go out and you order the rest of your days. You receive grace here, you recognize the honor of being the temple of God, and then you go out and you live lives that are worthy of the name. There's high school graduating seniors in this room I just, (laughs) I knew this was going to be hard. Um, Wherever you guys end up going, if it's not to church here on Trinity, find a church. Find a church that you can receive in. Both later this year, but 20 years from now, be a part of a church that offers the sacraments. And remember that that's where you are reminded of who you really are. You are a child of God. And we are most ourselves when we are in his house. My friends, let us live lives worthy of the name. The name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we recognize that we do not deserve this honor. We recognize that we are unworthy of the honor of being so closely identified with the presence of Jesus, with the temple of the living God. Give us grace to understand and give us the strength to live lives that honor you. We ask this with the irrational confidence of people who are in Christ. And it is in his name that we now pray.